Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, joined by Eric Fawcett, the man with the new Twitter handle. Eric, how was your Easter, man? It was not bad. You know, I uh, I think I started or I joined Twitter when I was 18 years old. And uh, I think just one of the like auto-generated ones was the E Fawcett 7. I stuck with it ever since, even though I just like don't like how it looks. But like everything related to Eric Fawcett was uh, was taken. So I was looking around at like anything related to just like the words Eric Fawcett. Uh, one of the ones that was taken was Eric Fawcett underscore. And it became available the other day when I looked. So I'm like, I better just grab this. So we're workshopping it. If anyone has any... Uh, any better ones? I'll I'll be sure to just uh, maybe I'll just keep changing it up. And I know a couple people are like trying to tag me and stuff, and we're uh, upset with the change. So um, sorry about that, um, Neil. Before I ask you about your Easter, while we're talking Twitter, I'll say live update as of four minutes ago. Uh, Jalen Llewellyn, who first committed to Clemson, uh, just decommitted. So that was a player that we liked a whole bunch. Um, it, pretty interesting. To, you, you don't often see uh, someone in the transfer portal, especially an older player like Llewellyn, uh, commit somewhere and then decommit like, I don't know, a week later. I don't remember exactly when it was he committed to, to Clemson. But um, yeah, just uh, breaking news from Twitter on that on that uh, that end. Maybe something there. Maybe not at all. But uh, Neil, how was your Easter? Ah, man, it was all right. Um, not not bad. It's certainly been a busy week for basketball news. Um, you know, in addition to uh, the Easter holiday, I think that they're um, with Florida with two commitments, a decommitment, uh, and like pretty much a whirlwind of Denver parlor press re- releases. Uh, so, no press release on the Jalen Reed decommitment, of course, but um, guess we can address those in order. The first one, the domino to fall, was Alex Fudge. We've talked about him quite a bit, uh, but certainly gives Florida uh, a whole lot of length and some options at the three and the four, Eric. Yeah, good player, and, and I'm glad it got done because I know that there was a little bit of uh, uncertainty regarding perhaps his academic eligibility. Um just that's something that's kind of gone around and you've seen a number of other LSU players. Like, like one of the things that kind of first happened with the new coaching hire was uh, everyone from LSU went in the portal, like literally everyone. And now you're seeing a bunch of those players come back and it's the older players that are coming back. And I'm told that maybe that's because their, uh, their academics wouldn't, uh, wouldn't transfer so well. So they're going back to, to LSU. So, um, but with fudge, man, there's a NBA kind of frame uh, NBA athlete, someone who got it done in, in high school on both ends of the floor, tremendous offensively, tremendous defensively. Um, I, I think it's a huge ad. I, I see him mostly as a power forward that will have some versatility. And I really love that ever since he's committed, he's kind of done the media circuit a little bit in a way that we haven't really seen from any Gators recently where, you know, he was getting on radio shows, he's getting on other shows. And um, it's good to kind of hear from him and kind of see that uh, that enthusiasm uh, for him to be a Gator. So uh, uh, that's a revision for the Gators. Yeah, no, definitely a great uh, a great ad, and Florida's getting pretty stacked at the front court, and obviously with uh, Johnny Broom coming in uh, over the weekend, this coming weekend, um, and I know they'll they'll probably get him out to a baseball game. I know the Gators have a big series against uh, number one Tennessee, um, who has essentially annihilated most everyone they've played, but uh, like a very oddly dominant baseball team. Um, shades of the COVID year Gators just destroying everyone in nine inning games. Uh, but they'll be in, in town this weekend. I'm sure Florida will, uh, want to get broom out there. Um, and then the other commitment was, uh, um, bottom from VM, VMI, uh, who I think is a player that is an interesting kind of guy to discuss really like Trey bottom, um, one of the best offensive players in the country last season, or certainly in the portal. If you look at the advanced analytics, uh, if you look at Evan Maya, uh, even if you look at just his Kim Palm numbers, like just a really efficient offensive player, um, great assist rate at 29% last year. Uh, not terribly high usage, but not, like I said, efficient. Um, VMI had a top 50 offense, which I think Eric and I have, kind of beaten to death the fact that it's it's harder to do that in a league like the league VMI plays in. So, you know, 
take that number for what it is, but it's probably a better offense than 45th in the country. Um, like at least schematically, Eric, uh, he was certainly a big reason why that was a successful offense. Uh, and on Twitter, I called him kind of the first money ball uh, signing that, that uh, Todd Golden has made, not because he didn't have a ton of interest, but I do think when you come from a place like VMI, maybe your interest is not going to be as significant as like your power six players. Yeah, he's an interesting player for sure. And, and one thing too is just that, uh, like I'm sure plenty of people listening to this are aware of this, but some some may might not be. But um, VMI has been like historically right at the bottom of that league, and um, I mean that's kind of the 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 plight of these uh, military academies. You know, pretty tough to recruit to. So uh, VMI, you've kind of like could pencil them in every single year to being the bottom of the SoCon, but that hasn't been the case the last two years, and a big reason has been their offense. So like. Does it coincide with with Bonham uh, joining the team? Uh, yes, it does. You know, how much can you chalk up to him? I will say, you know, some, um, the extent of which, you know, we'll, we'll maybe see what VMI looks like next year. But uh, for them to, like, turn around and, and finish fifth in the SoCon, um, they could have finished higher. They'll drop some games they shouldn't have. Like, that is, like, incredible um, for, for a school like VMI. So uh, Bonham kind of helping turn around that program, um, making their offense so efficient, um, pretty impressive. And, and a big reason why is because they were like 39% of their shots came in pick and roll, which is a very, very high number. The Gators are at like 27 or 28% as a reference point, And that's around the national average. So they ran a ton of pick and rolls. Um, it was Bonham with, um, Jake Stevens, who was like shot like 50% from three. And, um, shockingly as like six foot 11 and 250 pounds committed to Chattanooga. I thought he would go high major. Um, but just a massive pick and pop threat. Uh, so Bonham was able to just kind of have one of the most lethal pick and rolls in the country with, with him and Stevens. And, um, I think that that's something like when I look at the advanced numbers, um, pick and rolls ran by like bottom as a pick and roll ball handler was in the 97th percentile nationally. So one of the best, most efficient uh, pick and rolls in the country was ran by him. And that was on like heavy, heavy volume. So for him to be that efficient on heavy volume in a pretty good league, uh, those are the numbers that I'm like pretty interested by. And also like he hasn't shot a ton of threes. His catch and shoot numbers are pretty good. His off the nut dribble numbers are pretty good, but it's on like pretty low volume. Like looking at the attempts, it's like, very selective with his three-point shots which on one hand is like great you show good shot selection but like his percentage probably like makes it look like a little bit better of a shooter than he actually is at least right now just because he was taking you know pretty much great shots but uh, again you could look at those numbers and say like hey he, you know in what he has shot he's been a really good catch and shoot player um which is something that you definitely want with kind of castleton being the center or the you know center of the offense um so uh, there's definitely a, a kind of few advanced numbers. And then of course the assist rate, like you mentioned. So I, I do think the bottom is a little bit more on the kind of side of like traditional point guard, which the Gators have not had the last couple of years with Trey Mann and, and Tyree Appleby. Um, and still is like a very different look um, than like, you know, the Andrew, Andrew Nemhart, their last kind of pass first point guard. And then um, one last thing, just kind of about bottom and the style of play at VMI Um you know, Todd Golden said, like, you know, 99% of coaches uh, say in, in opening press conferences uh, that he wants to play fast. So uh, I, I, it's almost one of those things you're just numb to because coaches just say it all the time. Um, and, you know, like Mike White said that and then went after players that, you know, didn't play fast. Um, VMI is like traditionally one of the fastest teams in the country, uh, which is once, once again, something you just kind of see with all the military academies, like the Citadel is like even more so where it's just like those schools every year just play really, really fast, the military academies. So VMI was like a very, like, we are going to try to wear down the other team physically. So they played really fast. So Bonham is a player that is used to playing very, very fast. So if, you know, for Golden to say, hey, we want to play fast. Well, he targeted a point guard that has played in a system that was very, very fast. So that would be consistent with what uh, what he says he's trying to do. Yeah, no, and I think uh, you touched on a lot of the points that I would have brought up if you break him down statistically, you know, the 33% three-point shooting. I think the shot selection, the reflection of that is shot selection uh, is even better on Bonham when you consider that VMI 54.8% of their shots were from three point range as a team. So this was a team that shot more threes than anybody in the country. And he still wasn't like just catch and release. You know, he was very, very selective about when he decided to shoot. And yet 
Um, he would walk into Florida right now next season and be second on the team in foul strong for 40 minutes. Um, so, you know, he's a guy that now, whether that's because he was the guy that they got the ball to, to ice games away, or it's because he was effective at, at driving the lane and initiating contact and sort of a Tyree Appleby sense or uh, a little bit of both, I think remains to be seen, but it's still, nice to have a guy that you know can at least draw fouls and more importantly i think for florida fans that had some nightmares last year uh he's a 85 percent uh career th- free throw shooter so i don't think you have too much to worry about uh when he does go to the charity strap yeah great points on how the, the there is a green light for just what everyone on that team so um yeah that's very insightful that the fact that he didn't take a lot of threes in an offense that kind of encourages them. And uh, you could also look at that free throw number and say, Hey, maybe that projects as, as someone who's going to shoot the ball from three, you know, consistently and, and pretty well. So uh, that would be great. Um, so that I would say the one uh, concern with Bonham, um, well, may, maybe two, they're a little bit related. Um, he is six feet tall and 170 pounds. And uh, it's pretty tough for those, a lot of those small guards in the sec and high major in general. Um, yes. There's some like very, very stellar ones, but uh, uh, it's, it has been, you know, historically pretty tough. We saw like, we saw, you know, Quez Glover um, kind of struggle with some of those things. Of course he went to, <laughs> went to the SoCon where, where Bonham was and, and it was awesome last year, but we saw at the SEC kind of the struggles you have as a smaller guard getting trapped, you know, finishing through contact, that kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, not a, definitely not a high major body in the prototypical sense. Um, we'll see what, uh, we'll see how that affects him. Um, and then, uh, but the one thing that I would say it did affect him with um, even in the SOCON was defensively, I did not think he was very good. And that's of course, part of the fact, it, not insulating him was the fact that VMI on the whole was, was very, very bad. They were in the three hundreds in, in Ken Palm's adjusted defensive efficiency. How much of that was due to Bonham? I would say just, you know, some, I mean, just, not a super quick lateral guy. Um, of course, not super physical. So you're playing like, you know, you watch those Chattanooga guards in the NCAA tournament, just like barreling downhill and creating space. Um, and yeah, just just some things that um, just awareness wise, didn't think it was super high yet, but again, not a super high defensive culture there. So um, maybe that gets gets better and under under a Todd Golden. Um, but I will say that is kind of my concern. I'm curious what uh, what you think. Yeah, no, I mean, it's definitely a concern. I don't think uh, he's going to be um, the kind of defensive pest even that, that Tyree Appleby was. I think he's going to give up a lot on on that end. Um, his steal percentage was 2.6%, which isn't that bad. I uh, was far and away the best on their team. Um, but, uh, again, as Eric said, this is one of the worst defensive teams in the country. Um and probably why they uh, had to go to the the CIT or whatever they call that tournament, as opposed to having a you know a, a legitimate chance to to compete for the SoCon championship. Um, so, you know that that's been an issue, and we've seen small guards in the SEC that have defended really well. Um, I just think he's going to be more in the category of somebody that Florida's going to have to be sure that they've got you know help for. Um, or that they're schematically funneling actions to their shot blockers and things like that when they get straight line drivers who can match up with them. Um, so those are just kind of some of the overarching concerns I have. But for those that thought, hey, man, Florida really needs to get a distribution first point guard who's going to make smart passes, I think Florida definitely got their guy on that front. Yeah, I kind of like uh, kind of going alongside the idea that they're probably going to play Princeton um, just between what Golden did and what Hub did at Richmond. Um, I, I kind of feel like Bonham is going to be like the fast break point guard. Um, he will push the ball. He's if, if guys are running with him, he'll be able to hit them in stride. Uh, but then when it goes into the half court, then it's going to turn into, I think, you know, throwing it into Colin Castleton and letting him be the, the decision maker. So I, I don't think that like that's one thing that's kind of interesting is like, um, we'll see how much kind of how, how pick and roll heavy Florida is if they do just kind of seeing how, how Princeton either they're, they're going to get, because that is not always conducive to a lot of pick and rolls. Uh, and that's where bottom was really good. So we'll see kind of what, uh, what the idea is there, but 
Um, I, I do kind of, if, if it is, if it is Princeton, it's like, yeah, it's not like a super point guard driven, um, offense. So, uh, bottom, I think it'll be like, Hey, can you push the ball? Can you get us some easy ones in transition? And then, uh, once everyone gets to spots, you know, get a good clean pass into Castleton where we can get through the Princeton stuff. So, uh, that's kind of how I see things within, um, within Florida's offense, at least what we're, uh, what we're assuming it's going to be. We will get to Jalen Reed um, in listener questions just on like a timing. We're the hosting, hosting the podcast. Uh, it's rare for us to flex on the, Hey, we're hosting. So we're just going to do it this way. Um, but that's how this is going to work tonight. Cause we have so many listener questions. Like if you let Eric Fawcett underscore and me go off on Jalen Reed for a bit, um, we could get to like minute 30, I think before we got into to listener questions. So um, I did want to circle before we start listener questions with the broom visit and just kind of your thoughts on, on how he would fit in. It looks like Florida right now is kind of in a two scholarship zone where one of them may be going to an incoming freshman, which would leave one spot in the portal. We'll see the Llewellyn decommitment raises my eyebrows a little bit, but we don't know if that has anything to do with Florida. No, it li- like when I say it was like, you know, breaking news, it was literally like four minutes ago once uh, once I just clicked the, the when I was waiting for the uh, the StreamYard link from from Neil. So um, we'll, we'll see. And, and uh, that that would be interesting. I, I, again, I don't re- I don't know if point guard will be exactly what they would use that other spot on. I mean, I would be happy with it, um, especially if it was someone like Jalen Llewellyn. I think that that's just like someone where you're like, OK, well, kind of make room for you. And um, and I guess it also actually kinds of bring kind of brings in one more note about bottom just the fact that he just finished his second year at vmi so adding in the covid year this could be florida's point guard of a lot of years in the future so um which is kind of nice for that take i mean same as like will richard it's not like these are like grad transfers that are just going to give the gators you know one year i mean we'll, we'll see how many it is in, in in 2022 it's like let's i'm not penciling in anyone for you know four years or three years or, or whatever coming from the portal but um yeah that'll be interesting to see but uh definitely an interesting scholarship situation um johnny broom is a really interesting one especially um coming to visit especially given the like i would call him a pretty true center and if the gators were to land him i'm sure there would be certain people who would be like trying to say like, Oh, well, like here's one clip of him shooting a 12 foot jumper and it looked clean. Like, you know, he's got range or like, Oh, like watch, you know, Colin Castleton handle the ball. Like he should be playing. <laughs> like, like there will be people that try to do that, but I, I don't think it's, I don't, I think it would be disingenuous. Like that would be like the, the fit would be two centers and could Florida play those guys together. Um, like, you know, sure. But yes, it would be problematic in some, in some sense. So if it happens, like, and again, I think everyone kind of wants Colin Castle to shoot more threes this year and hopefully it works, but like, am I going to bank on it after the last couple of years? Like, no, and I'll happily be wrong, but I just, I don't think you can bank on it based off what we've seen. So uh, yeah, the, the broom one is interesting for sure. I think he's like arguably quite arguably the best player left in the portal um, or at this current moment. Um, would it be awesome if Florida got him? It'd be like, yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, the fit would be, the fit would be interesting. That's for sure. Yeah. I think he's um, certainly somebody that would check off the box of making Florida a very competitive rebounding team immediately in the golden era as well. Um, In addition to kind of just back to the basket, traditional big seems like he would be a decent fit in the Princeton offense, however they decided to use him as the four or as the five. Um, You know, the other two schools that everybody keeps talking about with Johnny Broom are Houston and Auburn. Um, You know, Houston is an interesting one because it's, he would, obviously the AAC is an upgrade. um, And obviously we just saw Houston in whatever round they were in, the Elite Eight or the Sweet 16. They were far. Um, So, uh, you know, that's a, a good program right now. Uh, Kelvin Sampson is an excellent basketball coach. and They would find a way to use him around the four guards that Kelvin Sampson usually surrounds uh, his, his big with. Um, with Auburn, presumably he would be the heir apparent to Walker Kessler, uh, which gives up about four inches, but um, actually not a ton on the shot blocking per 40-minute production. Um and it would be interesting to see him like coexist with Johan Traore, the five-star uh, top 15 recruit that Bruce Pearl seems to be bringing in annually to the Plains now. Um, 
you know, there's been some talk of NIL. I don't know. I know Bruce Pearl does a nice job of taking care of kids. So, um, you know, Florida certainly would have a battle on its hands there, but Florida does have home field advantage. I mean, he's a Tampa kid, uh, went to Tampa Catholic, grew up in Tampa. Uh, it's a two hour trip for most of his family members. Apparently the whole broom clan is still down there in the Hillsborough County area. So I think Florida has some internal advantages here. One thought I have on it is, is how it affects Jason Totoba, but we would get into that in the listener question section, Eric. Yeah, we better just get going before we, you know, waste more time, you know, rambling on about whatever comes up. Because I could definitely talk, you know, broom in the fit and like the West Coast ducking ball screens that all these WCC teams ran after Gonzaga popularized it with too big. So like there's some things that like we could talk about fit wise, but I think that might be just down the line. You know, maybe if the Gators get him um, or if the listener questions bring it up because I have not looked at them. So um, whatever, whatever comes. But yeah, we better get uh, better, better get into those. Yeah, there are a lot of them. Um, so I've got to make sure that I get back down to the beginning. I sent the the call to action out a little early, and now I've got – I had to scroll way down on the Twitter feed, which is – that's my fault for not having it up uh, before the podcast. So apologies for the, the waste of time here, um, folks. Okay, here we go. Uh, so this is going to be pretty fun, I think. Um, so we have uh, Jacob, hashtag broom to UF. Uh, who are some of the players you are most excited to see next season, Eric? Um, I think if I had to say one, it would be Kowasi Reeves, just because I think we didn't see him fully utilized and to see the last couple of games he did have. Um and just kind of our expectations for him going into last year. I mean, there's someone who I think is an NBA player who we just kind of only saw scratch the surface. So um, I think you could argue for a whole lot of players. There's always some intrigue of like, yeah, I'm really excited to see what Bonham looks like there. Or, you know, Will Richard, you could be pretty excited for But if I had to say one, it's for sure. Kwesi Reeves who like, not that I like, am officially calling it or anything, but if you're looking for like grand kind of breakout candidate, that could be like in terms of like nationwide, who are some of the like breakout candidates? Uh, I would look at the, you know, fringe five-star six foot seven shot maker who was on the bench for a lot of the season, but when he was played in big games at the end of the season was, you know, a 20 point score. So uh, I'm very excited to see what he looks like. Yeah. I'm going to have to go away. too. I was, I would have gone with uh, Jalen Reed, honestly. Um, because uh, speaking of, of NBA players, you know, to hear like a guy like Sam Vesany say that Jalen Reed's kind of ceiling is frontline NBA starter, um, you know, that's in an NBA starting five at some point. That doesn't mean that he would show up on Florida's campus and be an NBA starter, guys. Uh, that maturation process can often take quite a while. He could be 25 before he starts in the NBA, um, and that wouldn't be terribly old to be honest. Um, but, uh, that was probably going to be my answer also because that kind of skill set, like Nas Reed, but not really that, but with better handles and a little more mobile, um, is kind of fun to think about. So I know he said Florida's still in consideration and, and we'll get to some more questions on that. Lucas Dugator man ask, uh, what are you guys expecting from Alex fudge this year? So, I mean, I, I really liked Alex, Alex Fudge out of high school, for sure. Really wanted him to be a Gator. Glad he finally is. Um, but I do think that some people have maybe gone, like, a little overboard with their expectations. And, I mean, again, like, the LSU uh, season was, like, a weird one. They played a weird style of offense. They, of course, had a, you know, coaching change, we'll call it, at a, at a, at a weird time. A lot of interesting clouds hanging over that season. Um, but again, there was times where he struggled to get on the floor. And part of that was uh, was definitely, you know, he's probably him kind of competing with like Tari Eason for minutes a lot of the time, kind of competing with Milani Wilkinson a lot of the time, which is a Neil Blackman favorite. So like, it wasn't like it was like, oh, all these minutes were there for him. Um, how did he not command, you know, starters minutes? You can kind of understand why, but the fact of the matter is he missed out on a whole bunch or he not missed out. Um, they chose not to play him in a lot of, you know, important games and not important games and everything in between an sec season. So um, 
I, I, I'm excited to see what he kind of could be. I don't know if my expectations for him are super high right away. Um, especially on the offensive end is I think he still needs to, um, I think that that elite scoring is there, but he's going to take some time to to kind of bring it out at, at the high major level. We've seen all the time. There's like these kinds of taller shot makers that like were awesome in high school. Doesn't really work out in, in college. And then they end up being like, you know, a 40th pick in the NBA draft. And then they're, they're awesome in the NBA that like, I hope that's not the trajectory for fudge because I hope he kind of shows it for, for Florida a little bit, but um, that is just kind of those things for those like six foot nine shot makers that usually take some time, but, but right away, I'll say really good defense, toughness, physicality, especially if he's going to be at the power forward spot. Um, but I do think that some people's expectations of a scoring, at least of what I've kind of, you know, seen on Twitter, seen on Gator country, maybe a little high, but uh, yeah. What do you think, Neil? Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. Um, you know, he doesn't really remind me of Wendell Moore, who's more of a guard. But it's a sort of an example of somebody that collegiately had to grow into his body a little bit uh, as an offensive player. And we just saw the year that he put together for Duke as a junior. Um, so, you know, I think it can take some time. Um, there's a maturation process uh, involved. I do think playing closer to home is probably something that should motivate him and make him real comfortable uh, with the adjustment. Um, he also has the advantage from a playing time standpoint is that he doesn't have to come in and like learn a system that anybody on campus already knows because nobody from San Francisco has come over with Todd Golden. Um, so they're all going to be learning, um, which I think can help him compete uh, fairly. And he seems eager to do that, as Eric said, on the circuit. You know, I'd like I'd like seven points and four rebounds from him. I think that would be spectacular, quite honestly. That would be, um, especially because again, his biggest impact could very well be on the on the defensive end. So if he's bringing in seven points, that's that's pretty impressive. And um, I guess the conversation, which like will will come at some point, is like, um, does he start? Is he coming off the bench? What's the situation there? But if he is in the starter situation or coming off the bench trick, you know, I, I think seven points would be a, would be a tremendous season. So, um, Hey, let's, let's hope he's wrong. And he just shows, you know, NBA shot maker that we thought he was uh, coming out of high school. Yeah, no. And I, I, you know, right now that's a great point by Eric. I can't see a scenario where he starts barring some sort of injury, um, but that's okay. I mean, Todd Golden played eight at San Francisco pretty comfortably. I think Florida will play eight or nine the way that this roster is looking quite honestly. So, I mean, I think that'd be good. Um, the way that he wants to play. That's kind of the number that Alabama and Nate Oates, the only other team that really relies heavily on analytics. Uh, they really like nine. So if Florida can go with nine, I think that would be a good rotation. The next question comes from Jake Fonz, who usually asks fantastic questions. Um, this one's really fun, and it's just fun to throw in these, like, just silly fantasy world ones uh, in between all the, the other stuff. If you could pick one former Gator player to add to next season's team, who would it be and why? I mean, I thought about this for a while, Eric, and with all due respect to Trey Bonham, who I'd love to have as the second point guard. For me, it was Scotty Wilbekin. Like I'd love to see Scotty Wilbekin in the Princeton offense that Hovday runs. And then also just the defensive tenacity that he brings on the perimeter. Like that would be the guy I would choose. And I was tempted to choose like an assassin, like Mike Rosario or just Canyon Barry or somebody that could just knock down three in the corner. Um, but at the end of the day, I was like, how can I not pick an sec player of the year point guard and put him on this roster as it's constructed? Oh, I'm glad you went first. So I could think about this. Um, I think Scotty Wilbegin's a great answer just because uh, I think that the most important positions in college basketball, which is a little bit different from the NBA are I'll, I'll go like, point guard first. I don't want to order these, but it's point guard, it's wing and it's center. The Gators have a good, a really good center in Colin Castleton. Um, their wings are looking quite good. I would say with Quasi Reeves, with Niles Lane, with Will Richard, you know, and yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll kind of see. Um, yes. Trey Bonham is good. Uh, but I also think you just look at like, what's the market inefficiency in, in college basketball right now. There are just not a lot of good point guards. And we saw that all last year. So if you could go from, just a kind of nationwide where point guards aren't great. And you bring in a Scotty Wilbekin. Um, that's pretty impressive. So um, I will say something different though. And I'll go for, um, I, I want to, I'll, I'll go a power forward 
um, because I think we we like our wings. Well, just because I want to be different from you, so I don't want to pick a point guard. And I think I will go Chandler Parsons to go. Uh, I'll go Chandler Parsons to go start the four for the Gators. And again, it's not that's again even too like it's one of those things where like between CJ Felder and Alex Fudge and like maybe another name coming in like it's all like guys that like it could end up being a really good rotation of guys at that spot, but it's also like, maybe you don't have that star at the four. So I'll say Chandler Parsons, Dorian Finney Smith also under consideration for the role, just cause I think he's kind of one of my favorite Gators. Um, so maybe I want to say him just to like in this fictional world where I could just like see my favorite player, you know, play more minutes as a Gator, but <laughs> really, really, I think Scotty Wilbekin just given like that there are not a lot of great point guards in college basketball. So if you bring in, scotty wilbekin suddenly you have like an incredible advantage um that's probably the like technically correct answer so i love that we went we went um two former sec players of the year the five players we mentioned were canyon barry dorian finney smith mike rosario scotty wilbekin chandler parsons so it's two sec players of the year two sec sixth men of the year and an sec sixth man of the year runner-up who would have been sec sixth man of the year except that um, Michael Kidd Gilchrist insisted. So um, <laughs> that's uh, those are things, man. Those are things. I mean, so we're like, let's put players that won all SEC accolades on this roster. I mean, you know, real smart from us. This is why we get paid the big bucks, guys. Um, uh, MP asks, is there a player who is a possible commit that would significantly increase the team's ceiling next year? Um, I mean, again, I still think that like the interesting thing to me right now, Eric, is what do you do with the final two spots? Like, I think there's certainly an argument to be made that they should get another point guard, but maybe their thinking is that they have a host of secondary ball handlers and they have Colin Castleton, who's kind of kind of, who's going to kind of orchestrate things in the Princeton. So they don't necessarily need to do that. Um, and they can take a freshman and they can take a guy like Johnny Broom if he wants to commit. Um, the interesting thing will be what, what happens if Broom turns them down. Uh, and then where do they go with that other spot? I, you know, obviously um, they had the five-star kid ward in today. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that, Eric? There's still like 1300 players in the portal. And there are a lot of like journeymen four five, um big men who i think would just be like again at that point like can you convince one of them to which is you know it, it really is tough to do it's always kind of tossed around but like could you get someone who is like a, a kind of so like you know 10 or 11 point per game at, at a not great high major school could you get him to just come and be on your bench in this fifth year and like um could you kind of go that route um i i think that getting um you know whether it is like a kugel or a ward like if you can get in a high quality um uh high school player like that's pretty awesome i mean just to kind of continue to uh have some players that can come back that is something i love about will richard with bonham like it's not like the gators are going like okay we're we're kind of our all our chips are pushed in because we've got a really old group um so yeah if you can get a high school player that would be great especially one like to whenever you can bring in a five star that's not like or a high four star that's like we're not going to be like okay great now they have to start and they have to contribute for this team to be good It'd be nice to bring someone in you know not in that kind of situation so um so that'd be good but i, I still think the gators are going to be kind of active like for like some of the more like journeymen players in the portal not necessarily just kind of the stars and there's um again it's it's kind of the thing where it's like have your like star pure centers been taken off the board largely yes other than broom so it's like so you're you know six foot nine 230 pound you know grinding veteran high major guys like those guys are available you know are the star point guards off the board um yeah pretty much mike white got a pretty good one in, in terry roberts um so but you know can you get the you know the serviceable guy who you know hopes to play 18 minutes a game on a on a pretty good team like i, I still think the gators are going to continue to be kind of active there but i i, I would say it's going to be either point guard high school or i think it, maybe in, in order of what i think most would happen it would be like high school wing veteran front court player and then veteran point guard yeah and i think um that kind of answers eric van meter's question which was who are the one or two players in addition to the current group that you'd expect Florida to sign? Look, I mean, 
I mentioned this the other day and it was funny. I had a couple staff members like the tweet when I, I said, somebody asked like if they would turn down Kendrick Davis before he dropped his final seven that didn't have Florida in it. And, you know, I was like, I don't think they turned down Kendrick Davis. Like they're not going to be like, nah, uh, that's not a guy that you turn down. Johnny Broom is the same deal. Like if he picks Florida, they're going to be ecstatic. Um, Cause I think I agree with Eric. I think he might be the best player left in the portal. Um, at least right now, I mean, you know, crazy stuff has happened and guys can enter the portal later, but he's certainly one of the best players left uh, in the portal. I like Jalen Llewellyn. I think he's really good. Um, I'm really high on Riley Kugel. Uh, I don't know enough. Like I haven't dug deep into the Tyrell Ward mixtapes, man. Like I know like if you went to DeMatha Catholic, like you can play. Um, cause that's just a national powerhouse and has been forever and ever and ever. Like I'm old guys, like I'm 40, I'm a man. And DeMatha Catholic has been good as long as I've been alive. So <laughs> they must be, uh, I mean, Tyrell Ward must be able to play. Is Florida going to be like, no, if a five-star player wants to go to Florida? No, I don't think so. Um, and the Gators are going in home with him tomorrow after he was on campus today. So he's obviously somebody that they're serious about. Um, and I know he's going to visit Oregon this weekend. So uh, we'll see, you know, um, Dana Altman and that Phil Knight money, whew, who knows, man, but um, they've already, he's already done LSU talked to Matt McMahon. Now he's talking to Todd Golden. So I'd expect him to make a decision sometime soon. My long winded answer of saying like, I think broom is, probably their big focus with him coming in this weekend. Um, and then it'll be either Kugel or Ward. And then like, if, if there isn't two there, then it's back to the drawing board a little bit. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, with Ward, that's definitely like a mixtape guy um, for sure. He has some pretty ridiculous highlights. Uh, he was kind of one of those, like he was six foot seven and really explosive. So he was kind of a mixtape guy, but wasn't considered very good offensively. And it's just kind of like slowly got better um, to the point where, yeah, he's like five-star. Uh, the only thing that keeps him from being like total, like, you know, top 10, top 15 kind of guy is like, he is like rail thin. So like not a, not a great frame at the moment, but like ex incredibly explosive, really like really improved offensive game. But you would definitely, when you said you haven't got into the, the mixtape rabbit hole, it's a, it's a, it's one to get into just cause there's some, some pretty, some pretty incredible dunks. And um, I will say too, there's like some, some conversation out there. I heard this from some other schools that were recruiting him. So like maybe they're salty, but um, there's with, with Kugel, there's, there's some thought that maybe he might have a little bit of, of, of trouble qualifying academically. Um, I can't really remember the last time a top 50 player has, you know, not found his way to division one because of uh, academics it just doesn't seem to happen in basketball, you know, Yeah, for whatever reason, um, <laughs> I, 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 I'm just waiting for that to actually be an issue. So is as much as we hear that with qualifying high school players, I, you know, maybe, maybe this is the one. So uh, two really good players. And I, I do like that. Um, Todd Golden continues to attack wings and understands the importance of wing. Yep. And that tees up our next question beautifully, which is from Rob who asked, uh, how many wings is too many, which I'll leave for Eric. Um, like <laughs> seven, if I have to say a number, like, uh, like truly <laughs> if you, like if you, if these are all like legitimate wings with legitimate size, you can play these guys at the two through four. So, and that's what we see. Like, again, like if you would have said that Trey Wade was playing minutes at the four in the sec, I would have been shocked. Um, well, not shocked, but like a little bit surprised. And if you'd have said it's for one of the best teams in the SEC in Arkansas, I was going to go on a tournament run. I would be like more shocked because um, this is like, you know, a, a UTEP Wichita State, you know, coming off the bench guy. Um, but just because he was six foot six and could defend, you could find a place for him. And at Arkansas, it was starting at the force. So it's just like if you truly have like wings that can pass the ball, shoot a little bit, defend really well, like you can have three of those guys on the floor at all times. So like three on the floor to start three on coming off the bench for them. Like, so I'll call, I'll call maybe if you have seven legitimate wings too many. Um, I mean, again, so I, I may be exaggerating a little bit, like, yeah, like maybe six is too many, but again, like I, I know if someone just watches Florida basketball and you'd think like, what, you're only allowed to have one wing on your entire roster, but like, no, like I think you should have <laughs> four or five or six. And like, so that's like, um, 
and again, like some of that, you've got to factor in the human element and, and players you want to make sure you're not trying them to be pushed out. But even in like a Kwesi Reeves situation or a Niles Lane situation where they're seeing the wings that are being recruited, like I would tell them it's like bringing in another wing does not hurt your minutes. Like it's, it's, it's great if it's like, you know, Kwesi Reeves, Will Richard and Niles Lane out there together. That's absolutely a fit. I, I love the looks of that at the two through four. Um, So like, yeah, again, I, I would, I, seven is my like half joking answer. Um, but I also like half believe it. Hey man, I think that's entirely fair. I know Eric knows that I know that already. I DM'd him the other night and said, Hey man, right now this is sort of like a Kentucky roster. Like they really hope that that point guard is pretty good because they just had, and this was before the read commitment, but they had like length and athleticism all over the places in ways that we really just haven't seen much of. Um, in Gainesville in the last couple of years. Tim Boleyn asked uh, what with the roster right now and how the transfer portal playing out is a realistic floor and ceiling for this team. I still think the floor is the NIT. Um, you know, I don't see this team with Colin, especially with Colin Castleton back uh, being anything below an NIT team, um, especially with Kowasi Reeves and Colin Castleton uh, returning. But um, you know, I think right now, I mean, the ceiling is probably the second round of the NCAA tournament and maybe the Sweet 16, but uh, we will have to see. Uh, like, I need to see – I don't know if I need necessarily another guard, um, but just kind of have to see how they use those final two spots because I think one of those two spots is going to need to be somebody that contributes pretty substantially to raise the ceiling of the team. Yeah, and my kind of prediction would be like – for the two spots would be like, like, again, I'd love to say, Oh, they're getting Johnny broom or getting, you know, like a Jalen Llewellyn who I'd love or whatever. But like, I'm going to assume it's like one pretty good serviceable player, like not someone who's going to really change the ceiling a bunch um, for this upcoming season. And then uh, I'm hoping a really good high school wing, which again could maybe explode and, and really change the ceiling, but probably, probably not right away. So I'm going to say that like, my perception of the team will be like largely set right now, but Hey, I'd, I'd love to be, you know, have my socks blown off with one of these last two, two, you know, spots. But um, right. I do think that like, I like, I don't know if I think that this team is, could be worse than last year's team. Like, or at least like, you, you know, I, I, I think this team is currently shaping up to be better because of, like you said, especially Colin Castleton returning. So, uh, that's of course NIT. So I would say yes, NIT, NIT floor. Of course, maybe it could be a slightly worse seed. Um, would be the floor, but yeah, NIT seems safe. And then I think when you look at some of the some of the transfer tools, where you can build up your roster, like Bart Torvik, which I know a lot of listeners have have a lot of fun with all the time because it's amazing and super fun. I think after. I, I think that like right now they have, you know, the Gator somewhere in the twenties. Um, so that would be like you said in the mix for a second weekend. So um, yeah, barring a big move, I would say like, I, I think the, the, the ceiling for this team will say, you know, winning that uh, winning that round of 32 game and uh, maybe more realistic, what we're kind of leaning towards would be like, you know, first weekend at like you know round of 64 sure. maybe around a 32 team and uh floor bnit so i that's uh you know that's a good place to be coming off last season i i think yeah i mean i think it's a good place to be from a momentum standpoint heading into year two of the golden era as well and keep in mind you know i mean nate oats uh and alabama didn't have a postseason um <clears throat> in his first year in tuscaloosa and um uh, the must bus uh, and Arkansas went to the NIT in year one in um, Fayetteville. So I think, you know, Florida would be ahead of that curve uh, in year one, which would be, you know, pretty good. Uh, CLT Gator, speaking of ceilings and floors, uh, ask, how do you think Todd Golden will handle the schedule? And I do think that we've touched on this in prior podcasts. Like my guess is that they're going to be smart about it. I don't think Florida's going to go out and, do the Mike White, not that they were bad schedules under Mike White. I just think sometimes Florida was a little overambitious um, and they would schedule these huge kind of marquee games. Like, look at us, look at what a program we are when sometimes just a little more tactical uh, choices in your scheduling gets you just as many quad one and quad two games. And I think Florida will be a little more uh, analytic driven than marquee matchup driven. 
Yeah, I just don't know if there was like vision behind the last schedules. And again, like you said, it wasn't like bad schedules. It wasn't so hard that it was ridiculous. It wasn't so full of cupcakes that it was told you nothing and didn't help the resume. I just, so it still ended up being a good schedule. I just didn't feel like it had like a vision or uh, it didn't, it didn't serve the goal of gaming the net. And honestly, that should be your only real goal with scheduling. I know someone will say like, Oh, it's about, you know, development and like making sure your guys are playing like, yes, to, to an extent, I think probably overrated. Like, especially like if you're not a clear top 25 team, which Florida is not the name of the game with scheduling is to game the net. So that is, how I feel. So like, I'm thinking that the Gators are not going to be playing the teams that are in the 300 of the net. We're going to see them playing like the Southern Illinois that like turn out to be a sneaky, like, you know, quadrant two win for the Gators or like, you know, uh, I actually really like, I think they already have Florida Atlantic, Florida Atlantic's going to be pretty good next year. I think that's going to turn into like a good quad two win, which again, that's kind of the things that like Florida, I think needs to kind of, or maybe not quad two, um, but like a good, good, good quad three, like, again, like I think Florida Atlantic will end up being, you know, like in the 115 in the net. So I think it's going to be nice for the Gators to play like teams like that 115 to 150 in the net, not 250 to 300. So that like those games are inconsequential. So, um, but yeah, like if, uh, generally just scheduling a lot more tactically, but like functionally, I think just expect to see a lot of teams that are like, um, like neutral site games. If the Gators can get one in like the 50 to 75 range of the net. And when Florida brings in teams to, to Gainesville expect it to be like the Florida Atlantics, like top 150 net teams and not like, you know, top 300 net teams. And uh, you know, maybe they'll be able to avoid the, you know, the, the real juggernauts such as uh, the, the buzzsaw that was Texas Southern. Oh, oof. Um, yeah, that was a rough one. Uh, this guy had asked about, um, this guy being the <laughs> the Twitter name for TaylorMade76 asked about the ceiling and floor, uh, which we answered on the prior question. Next one was from Gator Brent, uh, erstwhile hoops coach and Gator Country writer. How would Golden use both Colin Castleton and Broom should Broom commit? Both guys were near 30-minute-per-game players. The plan would have to be for one to play the four and for one to play the five. No? Yeah, I mean, I think that for starters, it's like – like I think Colin Castleton played 26 minutes, not this last year but the year before. Um, and I think that he – like, you know, being at 30 minutes is maybe not ideal for any center just with – the kind of um how quick the game is played especially at the sec so like i think you say okay con castleton in an ideal world is playing like 28 minutes maybe bends a bit if you've got a johnny broom so maybe it's we'll call it 27 okay 13 minutes available then it's like okay so say johnny broom is similar you know 25 26 27 minutes okay you've got to have him on the floor for like 13 minutes at the four which so like could you play jumbo for 13 minutes you know that's that suddenly seems somewhat reasonable but still those are going to be minutes that require really deviating from what you're doing if you've got alex fudge at the four um and then you're going or cj feller and then it's going to uh you know johnny broom or you know insert whichever one of those guys you want to between con castle and broom that you want to say that is going to be the you know quote-unquote power forward um I, I really think that you can score quite well playing two bigs on the floor like everyone's first thought even talking about broom is like oh how do you space the floor like it's going to be so congested and like like, yes, but in the college game, you can still score that way and you can play bully ball and you can you can shrink the floor and still score. And you've seen a lot of teams do it really well. Um, so offensively, even something that's um San Francisco did was, you know, I joked about it earlier, called it the, you know, the 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 West Coast duck and ball screens, because like Gonzaga did it, and now you see like every team in the WCC do the duck and ball screens that Florida also started doing a couple of years ago, first with Kerry Blackshear and Omar Payne, where it was um you know, Kerry Blackshear sets the sets the ball screen while Omar Payne was carving out a lane in the paint, sealing the help. And then you just like see Andrew Nemhard getting like a warm up layup. Um, so you definitely see like that. That was definitely started by Gonzaga playing two bigs. And then you've kind of seen every West Coast Conference team do it. So San Francisco is no exception. So I definitely think you would see that with just Colin Castleton or Johnny Broom um, setting a ball screen while uh, the other one just like seals space and makes a wide open lane to the hoop or gets a seal over the top, but that's kind of not really my concern. Like I really do think 
you'll be able to score going really big. It, to me, the concern would really be defensively and how you make that work. And I think you've got to be pretty savvy. And and Todd Golden is like never really played zones. So uh, that's kind of the, one of your first thoughts with like, oh, did they play a zone? Um, maybe Golden hasn't done it yet. Um, you'd have to get pretty creative with your pick and roll defense. I mean, a team at the NBA who's playing two bigs pretty effectively has been Boston. And uh, they do it be they're they're like pretty savvy and like they like cross match to start so that Robert Williams is always on the weak side corner man so that when with their pick and roll defense, he's always the player that has to rotate to help on pick and rolls, which is like kind of nice because like you think about like Florida the last couple of years where it was like, especially with their ball screen coverage, the guy that was responsible for taking the role guy was like Noah Locke or like Myron Jones, who was just getting finished over. So it's like if you kind of structure your defense well enough, you can make it that that person meeting them would be Johnny Broom or Colin Castleton. Of course, that means them starting a possession on someone that's probably not a great matchup, but those are just kind of the, like some things that Florida is going to have to be um, cognizant of. They'd probably have to try to play some variation of like a matchup zone or um, a, a switching man to man that just keeps those guys kind of closer to the hoop in a rebounding position. Like uh, the rebounding fit would be, would be tough, I think. And then, you know, ultimately, of course, it's like, I don't think you're playing the clutch time minutes with both of those guys on the floor. Um, so are, is, is one of those guys happy not being on the moments on the floor in the biggest moments of the game. Um, I'd, I'd be interested to find out, but uh, yeah, that's uh, kind of my thoughts. So Eric brought up a really important point that I had kind of prepped for on this question, which was the, the number of minutes that Colin Castleton would make him the most effective. And so I looked at some of the most effective uh, people that, that shined in March. Uh, Mark Williams played 20, 24 minutes a game this year at Duke. Uh, Theo John played about 16. So how many does that add up to? <laughs> um, you know, that's that's 40 minutes right there. That was Duke's uh, big man rotation. North Carolina, I think a lot of people were like, that's the one that would throw you off because of the Iron Five and the fact that they played like six guys in the NCAA tournament. And really after Dawson Garcia got hurt, they pretty much played like seven guys the last month of the season. Um, and so Armando Bacot still played the, le the least of their starting five at 32 minutes a game. The 32 minutes is a lot um, for a big man. And that was by far the most of any of the ones that I looked at. Drew Timmy at Gonzaga, what do you think his minutes were? 25.9 uh, were his minutes per game. So um, if that surprises you, it surprised me a little bit. It was a little lower than I thought it would be, but that's where Drew Timmy and Gonzaga were. Um, David McCormick from the national champions uh, played 22 minutes a game. Mitch Lightfoot, his backup played about 18. Um, so, you know, again, they get 40 minutes at the five with 22 and 18. Um, so I'm not saying that Florida would go like 22 and 18 on Castleton and Broom. Um, I do think that there might be spots where they would mix and match and play them together. But I think when you combine them with CJ Felder and then the big asterisk, um, both big literally and asterisk because we don't know what his eye condition is, is Jason Jatobo. So um, I do think the fact that they're pursuing Broom as aggressively as they are is um, perhaps a, a nod to the fact that Jason Jatobo's status is a little bit up in the air. I'm sure Jason would disagree with us. And certainly we want to see him back on the floor next season after all the good work he did last year, but just don't know like how long that particularly freakish injury will take to heal. So that's just kind of my, thoughts on that to add to what Eric said. Uh, a site that I have cited many times on this podcast is uh, in street clothes. Um, the, the, the guy who kind of tracks NBA injuries and like how often it takes for players to come back. Very little information on eye injuries. Um, I went seeing to try to find out like what the uh, kind of precedent is for players getting, you know, lanced in the eye mid game and being uh you know needing surgery but uh there has not been many of those plays which just speaks to how freakish and unfortunate that was for him but uh with that being said i mean i'm no expert in that matter i went to the expert in street clothes and uh they didn't have much for me so unfortunately i really just like have no idea what to expect for him and um but i've got to say like the fact that there's you know wasn't a lot of information out there uh it certainly doesn't make you assume the best so hopefully that's not the case and and he's good and but uh you know it's it's and maybe because that's the thing too is like if if he does have a decision to transfer um if florida were to get someone you would definitely hope for him that he would be able to be 100 healthy and and go somewhere where he's able to play right away so uh really you know 
really thinking about him, especially talking about it because uh, yeah, it seems, seems pretty unfortunate, but yeah, just no idea what to expect from him next year. Yep. Uh, the next question was from Drew Helmick, um, which was, uh, when did fighting for your spot? <laughs> oh boy. Um, <laughs> I told him I would answer this first and I messed it up. Uh, <laughs> when did fighting for your spot in the rotation become such a negative thing? Uh, and so that was the Carlin Hamilton tweet from early this morning. Um, that came the night after or the morning after the Jalen Reed decommitment. Um, and it was fun that Jalen Reed's mom responded to it today and was like, it's not about competing for your spot. Uh, I don't know if it is or not. I, I mean, I can't imagine that it's really about that. I think it's about him being comfortable with a lifetime decision that he's making. Um, and so, you know, obviously if, if Jalen Reed is back in the fold, uh, that's splendid. Um, if he's not, then Florida has a little more work to do with, from a roster construction standpoint. Um, you know, I, we, I have said on the show a couple times that I liked Jalen Reed a little more than Malik Renault. Don't get me wrong. I would love to have them both as skaters, uh, spectacular players. Um, but I did think that Reed's upside was just salivating good. Uh, just all the different things he can do, plus his size. Um, think he had a chance to be a real plus defender pretty much immediately. And then somebody that um, could kind of blossom into a problem come February or March. Yeah, I, I'm with you thinking that uh, I was more excited for him than than Renault. So maybe he still ends up a Gator. But uh, um, yeah, talking to his family, I don't think that it's, you know, competing for minutes is was was part of it so i didn't really love seeing that tweet from from hartman i uh, it's again i just think like it, it, even if you truly believe that that is not something to tweet in 2022 and again i no. don't need to like talk down to a very respected seasoned uh you know coach at the high major level but like if you're like I'm those are the things that get you negatively recruited against. And it's one of those things where it's like, if you think if you're about to say something publicly and you think that you like, there's a small like fraction of you that's like, Oh, I might sound like an old man yelling at a cloud. Like you, you probably are. And I think that just like to make that comment in 2022 is just like, not going to be like, I don't know who that served. I don't think it's helping the current situation and it certainly isn't going to help you with any future recruiting. And that is, that is the stuff that gets you negatively recruited against. The other thing too, is like, and I'm not trying to spin this conversation at all. To no, I agree. I'm not trying to spin this one to Quasi Reeves either, but with Quasi Reeves, I knew that when he put his name into the portal and I will say, put his name into the portal. Um, we can talk about the semantics of that, but I'll, I will say, put his name in the portal. There was some sources that were, you know, pretty good sources from within the program that said, Oh, you know, he's just trying to get his NIL. And I know for a fact that was not true. Uh, talking to Jalen Reed and his, you know, or to his, to his family, I, I know competing for minutes was not the issue. And right. to have coaches per- perpetuating that, I just don't think is wise. So I just, again, I don't need to talk, you know, social media etiquette to seasoned coaches, but I don't know, maybe I, maybe I am just offering my two cents, but maybe you do. Um, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but I, I just, I, again, I, I just think that both um, Jalen Reed's decommitment and also the Kwesi Reeves um, entering his name in the portal. I, I don't know if I like completely hundred percent love how, how it was handled with Florida staff. So hopefully that's just, you know, something that happened in a transition year that uh, kind of won't be the case kind of moving forward. But uh, uh, with Reed, I mean, or with any player, I mean, you kind of commit to two or you kind of commit to three things when you commit to, you know, anywhere you commit to a head coach, to a roster and to a, you know, a program. Well, the program's the same. Um, it's still the university of Florida, but the head coach he committed to isn't there. And the roster he committed to is not what he expected based off guys leaving the, you know, Let's remember that Renault committed before he did and Renault decommitted before he did. So um, I think um, so uh, maybe I'm wrong on that one, but uh, I can't remember now, but um, yeah, I just think like there's, there's a lot of changes in what I would say are the two most major, as much as I know a lot of people love to say like, Oh, players commit to universities, they commit to institutions. And I just think that's definitely like the lowest rung of what they're a lot of players are. So like, yeah, it's just, it's time for him to think about what he, he wants to do. So, you know, if, if, 
Golden, he's going to be open to, you know, to Florida. So if Golden wants, wants him, he'll recruit him. And that'll be kind of, um, we'll, we'll see how Florida does, but yeah, I, I, I've got to be honest. I'm a little disappointed in that, in that tweet from Hartman. Uh, maybe it's a little bit just because I'm on, it's on the heels of how I didn't love how the Kwesi Reeves thing was kind of handled um, or not handled. So uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of my thoughts. Yeah. No, no disagreement for me on, on the uh, tweet. I thought maybe, you know, I guess the the optimistic part of it was like he tweeted it because he knew that the Reed family would see it and he has a longstanding relationship with them. But even in that situation, there's still the risk that it like is misinterpreted. And, you know, you could send a simple text message like, hey, this isn't about competing for minutes or something like that. And uh, probably clear that up pretty quickly. So um, that's why I, I tweeted something from the Florida Basketball Hour account that was just like, you know, it's a lifetime decision that Jalen Reed is making. And um, you have to be comfortable with the decision that you're making, especially when you're a kid like him that has, you know, Sam Vesemi said, starting five frontline NBA starter like talent. I mean, he's not going to be playing college basketball for a terribly long time, to be honest. So, um, you know, probably a two year kind of guy make the right choice. Make sure that you're somewhere that you feel like you can play and develop and, and are the most comfortable. Uh, that would be my advice to, to Jalen Reed. And it sounds like his family and, and his friends and supporters uh, have him on that path. We will close with, we have a bunch more, but we're going to wrap this one and, and carry him over to the next week. Um, the season's not going anywhere. Mark Nichols asked, uh, we now have had two G commits, understandable given the coaching change, uh, but going forward, what are reasonable recruiting expectations at the University of Florida? And look, I would say um, on that front, like, I mean, I think you should be where Mike White was at, at a minimum, um, where you're con pretty consistently hauling in top 25 recruiting classes. Um, now, some people might not like top 25. Um, but what I always tell those people is that it isn't college football. Like you're not dealing with a um, hundred and however many teams. And realistically you're not recruiting against like 20 programs where you have to be in that top half of those 20 programs, i.e. the top 10 to really win the national title. And there's, you know, constantly, um, data that backs this up in college basketball. You don't necessarily have to have top 10 recruiting classes to win the national championship. And in fact, um, you know, of course it's very helpful uh, to build your program that way, but there are 350 some odd programs. Um, and even when you add in the extra league, that is the power six, you're still at like 80 to 90. So if you're in the top 25, you're pretty much recruiting at a very high level. Um, and that's the level that I'd like to see Florida recruit at. And I think if you're constantly there, you will have years where you have a top 10 class, especially in the state of Florida. And that's been the case with Florida State, Eric, um, where they have kind of constantly lived in that top 25, top 20 underhand. And then they've had a couple years where they've been eighth or they've been 10th, you know. And so I think Florida could be right in that range as well. And we just saw a top 10 class at Florida, what, however many years ago that that would have been three years ago with uh, Trey Mann and Scotty Lewis and, and the rest of that group. I, I think that right away you're seeing whether it's these 2022 kids that are still on the board um, or, have, you know, decommitted and uh, like you're seeing with Ward, like you're seeing that golden is, is going after the big names for sure. And that's something that he said ever since he got the Florida job was like, he's like, yeah, we think we should be recruiting with everyone. And like, He's not hiding from expectations. And um, I don't want to say this is for sure the case with Golden because um, I, I don't know, um, but I'll just make a generalization of some coaches that I do know um, from. So like if you're a mid-major coach, like if you're at San Francisco, it is like not super fun to like really feel like you can get a kid and then have like UCLA walk into the gym or Arizona State walk into the gym and just like know in a moment if that guy wants that kid, you're not getting him. Like that's, that's like a, that is a frustrating feeling for um, guys that are outside of the the power structure. Um, I don't think you take the job at Florida to go walk into gyms and say like, Oh, that, you know, low three, low three star. I think I can develop him and, you know, make him into something like you want, like, 
I think you come to Florida because you want to walk into a gym and you want to be the guy that says, Hey, I can go get anyone I want in this gym. So I'm not saying that golden is necessarily built that way. Cause I don't know, but I do know for a lot of these guys that come from mid-major programs, they get big time jobs. Um, they, they don't, they don't say, Oh, I'm, you know, get that job. I better go start looking for some under the radar kids. They're saying, oh, I'm gonna go, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go get, you know, the kids that I have always wanted to be able to recruit. So, um, I, I, I don't know if Golden's exactly that way. I, I just know he's hasn't been scared of expectations. And he said pretty quickly, he's like, I should be recruiting the best players in the country. Um, not just the state of Florida, even though he said that he wanted to make the state of Florida a, uh, a focus. So um, I, I think like, Hey, Golden is, is pretty, he's been confident with his recruiting. You've seen him go after big names right away and you've seen him get visits from big names right away. So um, I, I guess expectations uh, are going to be high. And, and what does high mean? I think you laid it out pretty well, Neil, just being, top 25 um that's i i mean i'll also point out too like when when florida just had kwasi reeves committed just the way that the like class system works i forget what they had florida's class ranked it was like 45th or something and it was like well i would take the class of just kwasi reeves over a lot of classes you know that were ranked ahead of that so it's one of those things that there will have to be some like some logic used when kind of evaluating classes of what, what does a top 25 class mean? Um, especially in the transfer portal age, but, uh, yeah, I think expectations should be high. And so far, uh, so far I would say golden's meeting them just with his ability to, uh, to get in home visits, to get kids on campus. It's, it's gone really well. Yeah, no doubt. And, um, you know, I saw Florida in the names of, of teams that have been in pretty consistent contact with Bartle Allen since his decommitment to LSU another example of a, of a high five-star player that's in the state of Florida that Florida has um, gotten in on. I mean, I don't, does that mean that Marlon Allen's like not going to go to Kansas? Um, you know, maybe not, but I think that the fact that Florida is going to throw their hat in the ring um, in those places does speak to just sort of Todd Golden's message, which is it's one of the premier jobs in the country and we're going to rec- recruit the premier players in the country. And, you know, I think, again, if you're recruiting those players, you're going to be in the top 25 more often than not. And that's where Florida ought to be. So that is this week's show. I'll let Eric take us away. Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.